Hi everyone, welcome to Such a Good Feeling where I get to talk to incredible artists about the small moments in their lives that changed everything. My name is Steve Anderson and today I'm talking to singer, actress, author and all-round amazing human Louise. How you doing today, <laughs> Louise? I'm good, thanks Steve. How are you? I'm good. We haven't seen each other for a little while, but uh, yeah, you know. Too long. I know, but it won't be long. It won't be long. We're all sort of back out and we're all doing things and you're back out on the road with the nine to five, traveling the country. Yep, yep. for my sins. Yeah, it's just <laughs> nice to be performing again, singing again and just doing something. Um, yeah, I felt like I needed to dust the cobwebs off a little bit and get out there and you know, go to work. <laughs> exactly. And it's a role you've done before. It's a role you did in the West End. So you know yeah. you, you know her pretty well, don't you? Yeah, you'd like to think I, I did. Some nights I still forget the odd bit and I think, how have I done this show so many times and my brain still managed to switch off? But you're used to that because I can forget the odd lyric or so as well. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's fair to say that uh, the this sort of the, the, the main judge of lyrics is your manager, Wayne, who is <laughs> the lyric police when it comes he to rehearsals. the lyric police. <laughs> yeah, I know. I get, often get a scent like a, or get, walk into a dressing room and get a little um, piece of paper with the lyrics that I seem to forget on, just print it, <laughs> a gentle reminder. But I, I've realised since going back to do this show, obviously I know it so well and still... I mean, I still kind of like have blank moments, but I just think I've got the worst attention span in the world. So I only need to spot something or someone and I completely forget where I am and what I'm doing. So I need to really work on that. And of course, you can't do that thing. There's a really interesting thing that, that you do and a lot of people I work with do, which is ways of remembering lyrics, you know, like doing kind of physical actions that remember, yes. you know. Like, yeah. especially I remember in Stay, there's, you know, cry, goodbye. It's yeah. That kind of yeah, I have to do the actions. <laughs> do the actions. <laughs> try not so to do sad. them out loud. But yeah, yeah. No, a lot of people do it, though. A lot of people do it. Do you know, I've really found it even more so in musical theatre because when I'm on stage, I, I have a massive script. I mean, Violet pretty much doesn't come off, sta off stage for the whole thing. She has huge chunks. And um, I'm really dyslexic. So learning a script for me is, is really difficult. But I've learned the process that works is certain words words and moments within a, a, a big piece of dialogue by just simply doing an action which right. helps me to remember so it's the same thing when I'm singing just the small little action can just you know help me remember what's next <laughs> that's a good one Denise Van Outen did a similar thing when she did that one woman show where she sort of just because she gets into whole sections but then yeah. she, she like went to a different part of the stage and then that's when the next bit triggered yeah yeah it is it's triggering your memory and I think when you, I think when you're just going on and doing a few lines or one or two songs, it's fine. But when you've got maybe two hours resting on your shoulders, the pressure intensifies, which I think is even easier to then muck up. So you, I definitely need little moments within a song. Like I, also, I get a little bit, especially when we've done shows and I'm gigging, little bits that if something goes well when I've done a certain thing, I need to do it every night. <laughs> Yes. you know like superstition superstition yeah like if I have a swig of water after one song and then the song after has gone perfectly I'm like okay I need to do that every night whether <laughs> it was that that helped or not <laughs> whatever it takes whatever it takes so um I always like to start these things thinking about and talking about the sort of soundtrack of the house you grew up in so even before you had time to even before you bought your own music you know when you were growing up when you were a kid what's the sound what's what's the music in your house 
Um, I was really heavily influenced by Motown, the likes of Randy Crawford. Um, My dad was hugely into kind of soulful music, Motown being one of the big main ones. I remember, like, I think I've said it in interviews before, that when I went for my audition for Italia Conti at the age of 10, I sang I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor, which is um, not a song that many 10-year-olds go and audition for stage school using, but it's just what I'd grown up with and kind of those types of songs and Diana Ross and and you know, because you work with me all the time, that I love, I still today am really heavily influenced by all of that music. So it did make a big impact on my life. And was that, that was the music that was kind of being played when you you were growing up? I mean, were you even at school before you even, you know, got to that sort of stage of going to Italian country, were you, or did you, when did you get the bug of even performing? Did you, were you in school plays? Were you in- yeah, I, um, from a really young age, I went to, um, I grew up in Lewisham with my, just my mum. So she was very, um, she felt it was really important that I did things and got out. You know, we lived in a flat, high tower flat in Lewisham, went to school. So of an evening, she'd take me to singing, dancing and elocution, believe it or not, um, for poetry and prose. She thought it was really important that I could talk nicely. Um, and I think due to that, I mean, I did that from the age of about four, four or five. Wow. Um, yeah, and I think just kind of instantly fell in love with it all, actually. I think before then, she obviously sensed that I like to sing and dance and perform. You can kind of tell when kids are really young if that's something they're passionate about to an extent. Um, yeah, so I just started really early. So I was about four or five going to my first sort of singing and dancing lessons. Like only in the school, you know, town hall, mm. but nothing sort of over the top but just sort of finding little local classes and stuff so yeah what was the do you remember the first time you actually appeared on any kind of stage in front of an audience um so it would have been the school play and I played the Christmas rainbow in the nativity play so I had a solo called I mean I remember it today and we could always look at it for the next set we do (laughs) um and my mum she always remembers sitting there watching me and saying, and some of the mums in front saying, oh, well, this one, she don't get off the stage. She loves it. And my mum was sitting there thinking, oh, God, that's my daughter they're talking about <laughs> up there. So, you know, with her leotard on, with her chiffon, multicoloured scarves hanging from her leotard, like the Christmas rainbow, which we made. Um, so I think that was most probably the first time. And apart from that, actually, when I was really young, I used to do poetry and prose, pose, um, so I would go and actually stand in the sort of town hall and recite a poem and then you would get like first, second or first. And I did actually win my very first one with a poem called Little Lamb, <laughs> who made thee. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, performing was definitely there for me at a really young age. And what kind of, were you going to see shows when you were a kid? Was your mum taking you to see things? Yeah, I went to, I think the first thing I went to see was Annie, um, and then 42nd Street. I never went to loads and loads, but I went to enough to um, kind of start appreciating what they were about. But weirdly enough, actually, if you had asked me as a 10-year-old what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have said a pop star. Okay, well, that worked out well. (laughs) In fact, I think I did say that on my school audition, what would you like to be when you grow up? And um, I think most people sort of said like to be on a West End stage or a professional tap dancer or a 
you know, all different, an actress. And I did say, yeah, just a pop star, please. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> I mean, talk about manifesting, you know, the future. And, and what, I mean, I know you've spoken about a couple, but I mean, who were the people, who were the people on the telly you were watching that made you think, I want to be that person? Do you know, I... I, I, it's really strange because, well, not really strange, but I think I, I'm in such the pop part of the industry that ever since being a really young girl, I was really heavily influenced by the more soulful Motown artists, like from a really young age to the point where I actually wasn't always that aware of current chart music because I would always listen right. to to kind of Motown. But I suppose... I would always be watching out for Whitney Houston. Um, Just, and Madonna and Janet Jackson and people like that in the sense of performance, but vocally, I I was still loving the Diana Rosses and the Whitneys and the Randy Crawfords and like if ever they were on TV. And and as I got older, things like MTV and the box and that became, um, they they were at their heyday. So you could literally watch music videos all day. Yeah. Exactly. And, and and I always try and explain to people on this that, you know, it's weird now, you just want to see a video, you just bump it into YouTube. But I mean, then you'd have to sit there all day waiting for that song to come on. Yeah, I mean, I would pretty much have The Box and MTV on, like, obviously, as I got older, all day. Um, but it was great, because I feel like now I don't get to see, I, I get to see so much of people and artists via Instagram and social media and YouTube, but you don't get to actually see them perform. You get to see what they've had for lunch or what they were wearing on Saturday night, but you don't actually always get to see your idol being your idol. Yeah. Um, So I kind of miss that a little bit in how it used to be. Yeah, there's a romanticism to it, isn't it? That I think that sort of you happen to wait. What's your, I mean, even growing up, what's your first sort of record collection like what kind of things were you buying okay so my first I think my first song I ever bought was I think it was Paula Abdul straight up that's a good one (laughs) I just loved her dancing I was so into the way she danced that video was brilliant and when you're young and you want to be a dancer then yeah that's that's the one you went for. I mean, I knew the routine. Um, I think that, and then things like Candy Girl, oh, my new, new edition. edition. What a um, cool yeah, song. all of all of that. I was uh, I was into. <laughs> that's cool. And again, it's hard for people to you know to maybe a younger generation to understand. But I mean, if you wanted to listen to a particular record, you had to own it to be able to listen oh, to it when you wanted it. I remember the single on vinyl of Candy Girl and going into the shops. I mean, the highlight of my Saturday was going to Woolworths or to HMV and um, seeing how much money I had and what I could buy, whether I could afford a vinyl or whether I was getting a cassette or whether I had to sit there on a Sunday with a cassette ready to tape my favourite songs from the radio. Yeah, you like press, play and record together. Yeah, yeah. um, Mixtapes. So... Music pretty dominated most of my childhood. Like my days off from school was going to buy music or recording songs from the radio. Love it. 
Love it. Yeah, there was that weird thing in Woolworths only. I think they only had the top 40 and it was like yeah. ten or something for a single. And <laughs> yeah, that and a pick and mix. And they used to do those amazing things as well where like they don't do it anymore because they're not allowed to, but there used to be things where they give away things like all of a sudden there'd be a limited edition that'd have a T-shirt or that'd have a shrink wrap or some yeah, weird yeah. picture disc. <laughs> yeah, it was, was um, cool. they were good times though because... I don't know, there's something as an artist and, and also being the artist who people have gone in and bought your record, there's something so real about it. They're not just testing it out because it's easy and it's, you know, you can just literally download a song within 10 seconds, whether you love it or not. I think with actually investing time and money and going into a shop and looking through the records and choosing that one because it's the one you've heard on the radio. There's something rewarding about it on both sides. Yeah, I agree. And I also think even with albums that if you love an artist, then you go and buy the album. And even if you, you play the songs, and even if there's one you didn't like, you thought, well, I'm going to learn to, I'm going to li- listen to it more and yeah. more and more. Yeah. And you, and you tend to kind of, rather than just hear the, hear the first 80 seconds and go, oh, that's not for me. Yeah, I mean, it's there's so many pros and cons about music today, and and I, I, I could talk about as many pros as yeah, of course, um, I can negatives. But I do think that it's it's very there's very few artists that we invest in now as an artist. Yeah. Good and you know, really strong songs, and maybe songs that are the album tracks. It's because now you can just download that. You hear a song, you're not always really sure even who's sung it or who's featured on it, and you download it without maybe ever buying a song from them again. Yeah. Or ever investing any more time or money in them as an artist. You just like that one song and you download it. That's it. Mm. Um, but I think back in the day, you you really supported and you really drove people's careers forward in investing in their albums and keeping on investing in them. Yeah, yeah you know? definitely, definitely. So you said, you know, this incredible situation at the age of 10 where you uh, get to uh, to audition for Italia Conti. How did that actually come about? So I um, I went to a very normal school, St Thomas Mars, grew up in Lewisham, um, you know, not particularly privileged but very happy and I had a little dance teacher called Della Pointer so between and my headmistress at my school actually said to me there's something called an ILEA scholarship which is a government scholarship that um for stage school for I didn't even know there was such thing as stage schools um but she said and she said to my mom I, I really think it's something you should look at Louise like she sings and dances all day pretty much (laughs) at school um and my mum was pretty open to it and said okay I'll find out more um and she really helped she um between the two of them she kind of got all the auditions set up with the grant scholarship I couldn't have ever gone without a scholarship um and then my dance teacher kind of helped me get the pieces of work I needed together for the audition. So between the two of them, I went along. And I think I just sort of, my mum just played it down a bit and said, you know, we all feel that it's about building experiences in life and you should just go along and then maybe in the future you'll know more what to expect and you you might get in, you know, like not expecting me to get in now. I mean, she had a mini heart attack. She had two young kids and needed to get me to the Barbican every day. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I, I don't know. I managed to get a place out of a lot of children. Um, 
and a full scholarship. So I sort of owe a number of people a hell of a lot. <laughs> and well, yeah, but I mean, you got yourself in there. I mean, what was that, you know, that, as you say, quite young as well. Um, how was that experience for you at Italian Conti? Yeah, I, I look back now and I've, I've, I really feel like I've learned a lot about myself in the last few years and I've really learned that I will grab opportunities because going to Contis, all of my school friends were going to the local comprehensive. I was going off to Contis on my own without any knowledge of what to expect, not knowing a single soul, um, walking in there for the first day, but knowing deep down in my gut that if I didn't do this, then I was missing out, even at the age of, sort of 10, 11, it was an opportunity that I really needed to grab hold of. And um, I had the best time at Contis. I think stage schools can come along with a lot of, you know, are they cool? Do they produce these cool artists and that? But I had the best time and it taught me a hell of a lot, not just on music and dance, but just sort of our business and our industry. Yeah, I agree. I mean, was it, uh, was it, Obviously, there's there's a, a thing about those performing arts schools where they'll teach you everything, but at the same point, everybody is there wanting to be, you know, to be the one and to be the star. I mean, was there a competitive nature to it? There was to an element, but I think as you, you're there, and I'm sure in some groups of friendships there would have been, but in, in my group, not so much. I think everybody has such different strengths like not everybody at stage school wants to be a pop star. I think mm. it was pretty much just me and Kelly <laughs> and we were lucky enough. You know, people want to do other things. They want to be actresses. A lot of people want to teach and open their own dance schools and not or be on the West End stage. Not everybody wants the same goals. So you, you, I didn't find it um, unhealthily, you know, competitive. I actually thought it was a nice level of being competitive, but in a really supportive way of each other. That's amazing. That's really, really good to hear. Are you? Are they putting you in shows when you're there? Um, no, not really. I never used to get the main parts ever. I was kind of always the the one that did a drag run on at the end, you know, okay. <laughs> in a sparkly hat. No, I didn't actually ever get. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. They do try and um, incorporate everybody in it, and everybody there loves doing what they do. But they did always have their certain ones that were always. Yeah, at the forefront of every show, yeah. um, and it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I was nowhere near. <laughs> okay, but at the same point, you or I was on the pro. You know, as you say, some of them wanted to be leading ladies and actresses, and you yeah. wanted to be a pop star. So I wanted that was to be cool. a pop star, and you need a bit of luck in life, don't you, to to propel you to the next level? And I think I was fortunate to have two really important ingredients in doing what I wanted to do, and one was luck. Yeah. And the other one was sheer determination to make the best of something that was handed to me. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a thread that goes through your life, I think, that sort of determination and professionalism and drive. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, no, but it's, it's an incredible quality to have. Um, and, and as you say, you, 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 the one person you, you did meet when you were there was Kelly. Yeah, um, yeah. Was that quite soon into the, the, when you started, or did, did was she? Oh, like... day one. We were friends from day one. We um, we're in the same class. We were, we were eleven and started hanging out together. Like a little, there's about three or four of us that on day one you start chatting and 
that that awful moment of you walking into this school, which was like no other school. It's an office building in the middle of the Barbican mm. with dance studios and just one floor of like classrooms. There's four classrooms in the whole school and that's it. So um, you'd kind of walk into a big studio and sit down and they sort of introduce everybody. And I think I sat next to Kelly and Sophie, which is still two of my friends today. Mm. Um, and obviously me and Kel ended up having a, a long career together. Yes, absolutely. Who Was there anyone else in your little time there that ended up doing okay? Martine McCutcheon. Of she course, was yes. in the year below me. Um, so it's so nice to see her out doing brilliantly. And I mean, she's done some incredible work, you know. Incredible, she's, yeah. She's been brilliant. My Fair Lady in Love Actually. Um, so she was, yeah, in the year below me. And she was always had something a little bit special. Just you could always just tell she just had something that not everybody had. So how long is how long were you at Conti for? So I stayed at Conti's right up until the students and um, I was even still at Conti's when I was in Eternal. <laughs> so let, let, let's, let's, get in, <laughs> let's get into that. I mean, there's this, this incredibly famous story about you literally being in a nightclub and being picked <laughs> out of, of a crowd. Yeah. How much truth is that? I mean, like, we would... <laughs> We're, we're talk, I mean, Dennis Inglesby was a, a legendary manager who, you know, was responsible for so many things, inc including Eternal and, and Dina and various people like that. You know, that is the legend that he literally walks up to you and says, hi, I'm Dennis. Yeah, he, um, so we were walking down Oxford Street. And I mean, this is the complete truth. I was with Kelly and a couple of, we were actually staying at Kelly's house. Um, and a couple of other girls and there were some bouncers on the street and they said oh girls you don't want to do you want to come in and they had no idea obviously we were 15 going on 16 um so we jumped at the chance I was like yeah okay that'd be great and Pete Tong was actually DJing in there before Pete Tong was the massive was Pete, Pete Tong, Tong. Yeah, yeah. you know when Pete Tong was clearly starting out and Dennis Inglesby had popped down to see Pete DJ in so was behind the DJ booth with Pete Tong um, and there I was enjoying music the way I do and and loving to dance and you know I wasn't a young girl that was into drinking loads or loads of boys or anything like that I genuinely lo just loved going out and hearing music and dancing um, and he did actually come down off of the you know where he was with Pete and say I I'd really like to speak to you can you sing which, of course, the answer oh, is yes. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't even sure if I could at that stage. Well, I'll give it a go. <laughs> so, so what's next? So you say yes, you get, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a kind of world where that's an interesting thing to happen anyway. But, yeah. I mean, does he give you some sort of card and you organise an interview? or? Yep, he meeting? gave me his number on a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, and I slipped it. I, I can't remember if it was card or not, but he gave me his number written down and I put it in my bus pass. And then the next day I said to my mum, oh, somebody asked me that works for a record company if I could sing. And she was like, don't be so ridiculous. <laughs> men are coming up to you in a club. Yeah, why would exactly. you in a club? And yeah. why are men talking to you? Yeah. Anyway, um, I went to school that day and queued up for the payphone and I rang him and he was A&R at Polydor Records, genuinely. <laughs> which and, is a relief. <laughs> yeah, which was a relief. Um, 
and yeah I mean I was very lucky he they did it all properly they um asked if they could talk to my parents um they asked if they could have a meeting with me and if I'd be happy to sing for them and actually um him and Oliver Dennis and Oliver came down they did get in touch with my parents and I begged my mum to let them come down and um I stood in the kitchen and sung signs still delivered by Stevie Wonder <laughs> good choice <laughs> Which I still sing today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Motown yeah. forever. Motown forever. So they obviously go away and they, are, you know, obviously are impressed. What's the, what's the next step? When do you find out that you possibly might be in a in a girl group? It kind of was pretty organic after that. He ended. Dennis ended up meeting both of Burnett and Esther, who the sisters, at different times without realizing they were sisters, and actually phoned up to get hold of Esther one day and actually got Vernet who had also given a number two from in Brixton they used to do open mics and he had seen them both performing yeah. um so he already sort of from seeing me and between sort of gap he had met the girls and he actually just said would I be interested in getting some studio experience and going down and learning to do bvs and so I, I said, absolutely. And I went down and, and the girls were there also. So the three of us started just learning the ropes of doing BVs for the likes of Alicia Warren, who was yeah. Alicia Paris's sister yeah, and, and people that they were looking after. And um, hence where the lovely Nigel Lewis comes in because he was, he was the first person we started to work with. And, and on the back of doing those BVs, Dennis did say to me, it'll be really, I, I really could see you guys maybe being a band. He obviously had it in his head, but didn't want to push it until he saw that it could work. And um, he said to the three of us, has anybody got a friend that can sing or anybody that you think would would be able to fit into the three of you working together? And I said, yeah, my friend Kelly. And uh, I took her along the next day and we just started doing like vocals together. And we used to do a lot of acapella stuff in our free time, just really learn the, the art of getting that acapella sound and the four of us blending together. Um, ne never with a definite or oh, you're going to be a band, but I think by this stage we enjoyed just the opportunities that were coming our way. That's amazing, and I love that. Love, love the way that that's organically put together. You know, yeah, just, yeah. They need to know that the chemistry works. What's the? Do you remember the first song that the four of you recorded as a four um, in the studio? I, I want to say it was stay. It was stay. I had a feeling yeah. it was when I spoke to Nigel. He seemed to think it it it, it was. And I think also, that was the first one we ever recorded as a as a group of four girls without realizing we were even a band. Yeah. And do you remember even before that? I mean, what was that? I, I mean, what was it? What were you 15, 16 at this point? Um, I reckon I was 16 going on 17 by this stage. It was quite I a mean, long process going around from getting the number to getting, you know, there was always like four or five weeks in between phone calls. And so I reckon sort of getting on the 17 by now. And do you remember what it was like? Can you even think back to what it was like from like the girl that's always wanted to be a pop star to for the first time you walked into a recording studio that must have been mad yeah I, you know when you it was one of those moments where you almost don't want to get too excited like you know me and I'm somebody that will always um 
like I, I'm incredibly grateful for everything that happens and comes yeah. along. So I think I was very mindful to stay within my like little remit of don't get too comfortable. Don't enjoy this too much because it, it might not be forever. <laughs> it might yeah. be in and out or like imposter syndrome. They might get rid of me tomorrow or something. So I think I just went intentively and um, I don't know. Yeah. Just, just, just grateful to be there I think but I the minute we started we and Nigel actually played stay to us he had the really original because I think people don't realize it was a cover and he played us with Dennis we we're in the studio and he said oh we're thinking of recording this song let me know if you guys like it and he put it on and um we were all like yeah it's wicked <laughs> and then Esther went in and did that big opening note and we knew we had something that was a bit special <laughs> and it's I, I spoke to Nigel about it as well and I mean it is to, to show you the area the era that we're in it was in a bag of cassettes that Nigel had like carried around with him yeah, and yeah. someone had given him that song and it was for the original of it and just he just had it there for quite a while yeah and he just suddenly yeah. thought oh this could be good for the girls yeah, it, it was. He literally said, what do you think about this? And we listened. It was like, yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, when when you have a break like that, like Eternal did with a, such a, a great first song, there's so many things that come into play. It's not just about the vocals or the girls or the band. It's having the likes of Nigel and Dennis and people that really, you know, know their stuff as well and, and they'll combined that's when you can create something that can go worldwide absolutely I mean it did kick everything off and it did do that and then again I mean you are you're going to find yourself after thinking about it for so long growing up you're going to you are very soon after that in a tv studio performing on television and and surreal moments like I look back and um where there was it was the days of loads of big road shows and radio one road shows and you know there's been one in Leeds and I remember having because the record was so big at the time and you know Eternal had become so sort of in demand I remember sort of getting helicopters from one road show to another and you know when you're you're coming down you're climbing out of a helicopter and your hair's all blowing and you think is this for real like is this happening to me I lived in Lewisham (laughs) you know with not very much and now I'm I'm traveling by helicopter to go to work to do something that I absolutely love in front of 60 70,000 people at these road shows so um it was insane yeah (laughs) Do you have any memories of like even the first time that you heard the song on the radio, that you heard yourself yes, on the radio? I absolutely do. It was Sunday. Um, all of us were in our own homes, but we were all talking on, pho- on the phone. And Dennis and Ollie had said to us, oh, we think we're going to get a play on Kiss FM. And um, we had the radio and we was waiting, waiting. Then all of a sudden the DJ come on and was like, this is a great new song from an up-and-coming band, Eternal, with Stay. And we just all, I remember just sort of, sort of being in my kitchen with my mum and I don't think they really quite got it. I think to them, they were kind of so managing my expectations. But after that, me and Kelly were on the phone for hours <laughs> <laughs> chatting about how good it was to be on the radio. <laughs> 
and then how good it was to be in the charts and then how it good it was to yeah you know, all I mean the stuff. records flew and even in America it just it just um it was a great song and I think still sounds relevant today like still a great song it is yeah and obviously so many other hits on that record um including just a set from heaven which with the wonderful John Douglas, who actually, Johnny Douglas, who I spoke to the other day, actually. He oh, sent his I love Johnny. I mean, I'm really lucky because Nigel and Joe, we worked with loads of different people in yeah. Eternal, but they were two people that I carried on working with as a solo artist as well. Um, yeah, I have a huge amount of respect for both of them. And they both have changed the face of music with the different artists that they've worked with back in the 90s. Definitely, yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, obviously, John went on to um, produce George Michael um, um, and various other things. And it was interesting when I was talking to Nigel because because Nigel obviously is responsible for Dina, Carol. Yeah. But obviously yeah. very much worked with you and, and, and the girls as well and, and you later on. And uh, he said an interesting thing. He said that... Uh, he said that in back back then there was this kind of idea that Dina was the sort of fierce, you know, the, the fierce kind of diva that was just like really, really driven, and <laughs> you were the girl next door. But yeah. actually, <laughs> yeah. it was sort yeah. of the other way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dina was definitely the quiet one. I was yeah. definitely the one like you know Nigel what time should I be in when can we do this when what time well can we not get it all done today like I was I was the one desperate just to keep on going um, yeah. and I'm most probably still like that now I still just carry on without you know I'm not one of those girls that go oh is it not time for a lunch break yeah I'm just keep no, going but, you are, but, but I think again that's down to Conti as well you know you had an, a professionalism instilled at you at such an early age you know, yeah. and I think anybody that went to those kind of stage calls, you know, you will always be on time. Yeah. You will always be professional. You will always, whatever it takes, you will always deliver. And and you see it with the likes of Denise and people. We do just keep on, just, just keep on turning opportunities into something, you know, that we, we really can go through and carry on with. I think it is something that going to a stage school, you learn very early on. Yeah, definitely. Um, so after that that incredible first album, I mean, how hard was it to make a decision to say, I'm done, I'm going to move on? Musically incredibly hard because anyone that knows me well knows that musically I love the music we made in Eternal and I would have loved carrying on. And I think as a band we would have got more and more soulful and funky and... And the girls knew I loved to do that as well. Like that was one thing that really bonded us very, very early on. We all had very similar music taste. Mm. And they taught me loads. Like, I didn't know much about gospel and I can pretty much name you any gospel songs now. And you, we got to work with the Winans, which are a massive gospel family, obviously of huge course, in America. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was something that really did cement us. But... Yeah, I knew in my heart I needed to to leave. I was really unhappy by the end of it. I was incredibly homesick and, you know, I never placed the blame, but we were we had become quite different people. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you did leave, and obviously you're leaving something, you've wanted to be a pop star, you are a pop star, and you're now sort of going to say, okay, I'm going to try and do this. Did you have any idea of what your sound or your music was going to be? 
I, I honestly, the day I left, I had no idea if I'd ever make a record again. Like there had, I think a lot of people have said to me in the past, we thought you were maybe groomed to naturally go that way. It had never been a conversation. I mean, I literally walked out of the studio where Nigel was, went and bought myself a bagel. I walked out of Psalm, (laughs) which was on Brick Lane, went and bought myself a cheese bagel and rung my management and just said, I I really need to go home. I can't, I'm I'm not enjoying what I'm doing anymore to the point where I don't know what I'm going to do with my future, but I I know maybe this isn't right for me. And uh, Nigel just kind of gormlessly looked at me like, where are you going? <laughs> I was like, Nigel, I'm going. I can't do this anymore. And um, he was like, okay, okay, that's fine. <laughs> okay. And, and out I went. And it was only then that my management said, well, you've got a five-album deal with EMI. I don't know how easy that's going to be. And, um, but they understood that we had all gone in our different directions. Um, and, and mentally, I had str- struggled quite a lot with being away from home so much and homesickness and all of those things. And, um, yeah, they said, well, we need to go in and talk to JF, who was the director at EMI. And I sat in his office and he said, well, you've got a five-album contract you need to honour. I was like, huh? What do you mean? And <laughs> it's like, well, you can still, you know, you can still make five albums. We just do them on your own. So, um, left there pretty flabbergasted, going, wow, I, w- I wasn't expected that. I was expecting to be told I, I wasn't allowed to leave, or if I left, I'd get sued. I don't know. I was expecting the worst. So, um, he was French. He was like, darling, no problem. We just do five, five albums on your own. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no idea what I was going to do when I walked out. I've been in a band where, you know, it'd be four, there'd be four of us making all the decisions. But, um, yeah, it's a big believer in the universe and what's meant to be. So it was obviously the right thing to do for me. And you've got great people going out and sort of finding songs and sending you th- songs. I mean, do you remember what it was like to get those first few demos through to say this could be your record? I remember going in and um, doing Naked. Um, a light, actually, Light of My Life was the very first one. So the first person I worked with coming out of Eternal was Simon Climby from Climby Fisher. Which is pretty who, good. <laughs> who's a massive songwriter and um, and just an all-round amazing person. And he really took me under his wing, actually. He, um, he, he got me in the studio and he just started to get m- m- me confident on my own. I think after being in a band with such powerhouses and I was still so young and still sounded so young. Um, he always felt that I held back when I sang. I, w- mm. I was still in a band, you know, I still was happy just to blend in with somebody else rather than take the lead. And he really helped me try and get out of that. I think, <laughs> I think you still are working on that today with me, aren't you? <laughs> Come on, you can do this. Just you can. get you can it do out. Anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that's when I did Light of My Life. And Dennis, again, um, it wasn't so much the record company, it was him that really said, I think we should go with a ballad, which was pretty unheard of for a new first single. Not only a ballad, but an incredible ballad with a full orchestra on it as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, and crazy. Such a, and such a great song. I mean, you know. 
Yeah, it's, it's such, such a beautiful song. song. Like, it's a proper old school, proper ballad. But I remember being really nervous when they said, I think we should um, go with Light of My Life and thinking to myself, really? I want to be Janet Jackson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was the right decision. And Dennis was quite good at taking risks. He he kind of, he got an idea in his head and he would really push for it. And he did push for light of my life and I went to LA and Hawaii to make the video which again is doesn't happen anymore um and yeah come back with this this song and this video and yeah it did all right (laughs) yeah and you and you I mean as much as being in a band was great you know your whole thing was you want to be a pop star you are now an actual pop star on your own right and I imagine that transition's pretty easy for you so you're not from going to be from being in a band to being on your own, sometimes that is a difficult transition. But because you were only in the band for a short amount of time, yeah. I mean, I, I missed the girls and I missed their sort of their vocal abilities and the songs that we sang together. And you know, right till the very day I left, I um, I appreciated what they the music they made and how they made everything sound. They're such incredible singers. Um, but it, it was actually on a professional level, I. I, it was fine. It was really more on a personal level that I needed to be on my own. Just stupid things. But when you're like 18, 19, just being able to go on tour and have friends come to visit you and your mum be allowed to get on your tour bus, and which I understand in a band, there's got to be, you can't just have everybody bring in whoever they want, whenever they want. But that's something I need in my life and still do today, actually. Nothing's changed. I still, when I go on tour, I'm, I'm surrounded by, you know, company and people that I love to be with. Um, but, yeah, the transition on stage kind of just, it felt pretty okay, really. So that, for obviously, the whole thing's a massive success. The first album's incredibly huge. At what point did you, when possibly coming to the second record, at what point did you feel there was an importance in the fact that you should be involved in writing? In fact, how was how was how were you writing anyway? I'd always done bits, but uh, if I'm honest, on the first album, I didn't even know if I had the capability. I knew things I wanted to say, and I know I love and know good music and can hear great music. Um, but on the first album, I think I was maybe slightly tentative about pushing that too much. On the second album, I had much more of a vision of where the next steps would go. I was getting older. I was growing up. Um, I was getting more of a say. And I loved, like, the part I love the most about making music and, and songwriting is actual the, the music part, not even the lyrics. It's the melody and the actual track. Like, I love there's nothing more thrilling to me when I'm in the studio and someone puts down a great bass line. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that, like, that's where I'm winning. That's the bit that I really immerse myself in, the track building. Um, like, I'm not a great lyricist. I, I, I can only really write from the heart. I have to write what's going on in my head. Um, I can't just, you know, some songwriters can just write daily day after day after day and they can come up with incredible work where I kind of have to be going through some sort of something in my life for it to all pour out (laughs) but you know we we all get we all go through the process in different ways and I think on that second album 
I just knew that I had a stronger idea of where I musically wanted it to go. Yeah, and again, you've got people like Nigel around that you can do the, the co- you know, to go in and do the co-writes with who you feel comfortable with as well. Yeah, like we went in and um, I did a song with him it, it called Trust In You. Yeah. And um, we wrote it together and we both knew what it was about and and I, you become friends with people you work with on a daily basis. They know everything about your life. They know your good days and your bad days. You, it's impossible to work together on such a personal level if you go in with like a showbiz smile and it's all great. I think your best work comes from when people really know know you to a deeper level in order to get the most out of songwriting with you, especially when you work with someone a lot. So Nigel sort of, we knew what the song was about and what my, you know, what I was thinking at the time. And um, we actually recorded that in one take. He said, I want to try and get some raw emotion in this. And rather than edit it all and have different, you know, dropping into lines, he's like, do you fancy just going all the way down with it and we'll do it a few times until we get one take that we're both happy with. So, uh, yeah, we had some, uh, it, it was lovely. And we, and I, it was always kind of, we did things like that in the evening where there was just the mood was right. For me, the mood has to be so right in the studio. I need it to be the right time of day and the right lighting. It sounds stupid, but it really can add to a mood. I don't think it sounds stupid at all. And in fact, I've spoken to about a few to a few people about this and especially from producers and a lot of people even people like Quincy Jones and David Foster just say it, it, the most important thing is that a singer feels 100% comfortable when they do a vocal because for the producer it's another day at work for the singer that will live that performance is going to live with them for the rest of their lives yeah well it's it, it's everything from the people that you're working recording with it, the, the most important thing to me to start with is not being embarrassed to make a mistake and yes. to try stuff yeah. if if I'm gonna feel uncomfortable doing that in someone I know there's someone I shouldn't be working with I want to be able to yeah. squeal make the worst mistakes and we laugh and go okay won't do that again <laughs> and move on not where you feel a bit embarrassed um I think also just the sound that you get in your ears like you know when we work together if I have if I can hear and I, I like what I'm hearing and the sound's right, I sing better because yeah. my confidence is stronger because I'm liking what I can hear. So therefore I sing with more confidence and conviction rather than holding back and pulling the mic away. So what's going on in, in my ears is really important. And then there's certain studios that become second homes where you feel like you're in a, a really personal space. And I think those early albums, I made them all pretty much in the same two or three studios, so it, it was comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, definitely. And what, obviously there's a lot of writing, and you're doing a lot of writing, but there is, you know, arguably one of your biggest records on that album, which is a cover. Um, do you remember how you re- how, what your reaction was when someone suggested Let's Go Around Again? <laughs> well, first of all, it's a song that I had liked from oh. before, right. but... So that's hand. I, well, it's, it's soulful, isn't it? It's soulful. It's, it's got a nice funky feel to yeah. it. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, I was worried about how I was going to turn that into something that was right for me. Mm. Um, but yeah, we did, and it's mad that that song still goes off now when I when I do that on stage. It's still no matter what age group 
everyone knows that song. Um, and a lot of people actually think that it's just my it's song. Yours. Yeah, because the original was sort of, you know, sort of early 80s, so late 70s, early 80s. So for a lot of people, it would be seen as yeah. yours. And you had that really weird thing where it's one of the first times, I think the only time that John and Nigel worked on a song together by default of the fact that John got ill and yes. Nigel had to take it over. But Nigel will be very, very, uh, Nigel's very uh, adamant that it was his idea. Oh, did, uh, do you know, it could well have been. It, Nigel he said was, it was good with ideas. It was his, it was, he always says it was his idea and then all of a sudden it got given to John. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, uh, and then Aunt Nigel ended up finishing it anyway. <laughs> well, so, it was obviously meant to be. It's yeah. the best of Nigel, both worlds. <laughs> Nigel had lots of good ideas. So I, I, I can't remember whose idea it was, but if Nigel's saying it's his, I'm going yeah, with that. I, I think it is. I think it is. But it was genius and it, and it just, as you say, you reinvented it. It becomes a new version, like and a new original version almost. Yeah, I think there are certain covers you can do. I think sometimes you can choose to do a cover, which is always tough because the original is so loved and, you know, you're never going to please everybody. There's always going to be somebody that thinks you've ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but um, Let's Go Round Again was, for me, it was most probably my first step. It's almost like, in a way, almost the nearest sort of sound to heavy love. Yeah. And kind of starting to, I don't know, I mean, I had that massive gap in the middle, but had I not had that gap in the middle, I think by the time I was recording some of these songs, I was become, I was going from being a singer that, had a career to being an artist and knowing exactly what I wanted. And if I could sort of like what I'm doing now, bring that back 10 years, I, I think that the route I would have gone would have been really where my love for music is. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you, um, for, for album three, um, you famously decided to relocate to Doncaster for nine months. I don't know what that was about. Yeah, that was not <laughs> well, that, my idea. That was Dennis's. <laughs> I'm blaming Dennis. Um, well, that was because yeah. the producer lived there, right? The guy. Yeah, that was, the producer yeah. lived there, and he was a real genius. Like he just had great. It, again, he was a bit of a. Let's just go for something. Let's just try something new. Yeah. Um, so I did. I spent three months in Doncaster, and. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, to see what we came up with. Did a little sample of the Wu-Tang Clan, which made me happy. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you got Two-Faced out of it, which is, you know, still a, a classic. A great song, absolutely. Yeah, it was, um, I think, uh, I do think you need to try. I love working with the Nigels and the jo Johnnies and the yeah. Simon Climbers of this world. I, I think you know that when you're working and the same with now there's certain producers I worked with on heavy love where you kind of know you're you're on to a good thing and that you're going to come out with records that are good enough to make an album um and then sometimes you take a punt and the punts for me are where you sometimes find a bit of magic I love working with really new up-and-coming people, people that wouldn't have even known my music from way back. They'd have to go and look it up and have no preconceived ideas and see what they come up with because the world of music moves fast. And it, but it does do a big circle, but it's just how you get there is slightly different. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, you after that record, there's a little mini break, and then there's a greatest hit, which which gives you stuck in the middle with you. Which I know that you know as much as when that song was first mentioned, probably your brain immediately just went to the video of what it was going to look like. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a song I was jumping up and down. About but you knew recording. what you could do with it visually. Yeah, I think sometimes you kind of pick your battles and. Um, everybody thought it was a good idea. Um, Song-wise, it's an amazing song um, and I, I take nothing away from the song, but I panicked a little bit about that wasn't where my vision was going musically, you know, like well, I was thinking I, I wanted the Let's Go Round Again part two or the, yeah, yeah. the Two Faces, you know, Beautiful Inside. I, I wanted to carry that journey on. Um, but you're right, I, I did. I I thought visually what we could do with it would be great and it we could recreate a whole little new thing. Um, so there we did the Reservoir Dogs style video, um, which kind of worked and the whole visual worked with what we did with the girls in suits and it become very much a song with a really strong visual path. How, when you were, uh, during all of that time, obviously there was live performances. Um, were you at that point, getting very involved in the creative side of that as well. Yeah, 100%. And, and the one thing that was really good about that song, like you, you do different hurdles. I'd often done um, songs that required lots of dancing and that. So to get a really solid live vocal would be tough. And I'd have eight, ten dancers and it would be a big number. And it was all about the show. But weirdly, even though it was a creative and we had a very much a look, it was a song that I could actually go out there and, and do all live vocals on and still move just with the tempo and the key. It just was easy to, to maintain the two, sing and dance together. So um, I think that in a weird way, that song was good for me because it gave me the confidence to know that I could go on top of the pops with a live band, dancers and do a live vocal. Everything was 100% live, which, you know, hadn't always been the case. No, and some people didn't didn't feel it was necessary, but I think you're, you know, again, you wanted to make sure that it was authentic. Uh, I, you know, you, in this business, you'll always got to prove yourself. I don't care how big you are. You can be Madonna. You can be still your next record. You've got to prove yourself as being worthy of that title yeah. or, or the records that you've sold previously. So I think um, for me, it was really important by this stage that people knew I could sing. I know that sounds mad, but there was always, if you were in the pop industry, you assumed people maybe couldn't sing or you wasn't sure or, you know, unless you really heard the bare bones of it. So it, it was nice to, and it was at a time where Chris Cowie was actually the producer of Top the Pops and um, he wouldn't have you on if you didn't do live band and live vocal. So if you got asked to do that people knew that you were you were doing it properly yeah you could do the real thing so there's a there's a, a much longer break that happens where yeah. you, know, you, you take <laughs> not, not from work <laughs> not from work you're always working you're always doing yes. stuff but you may be in the music um talk me through the the conversation or the thought process behind strictly um was it something that you've been offered a few times and you said no yeah. to Offered quite a number of times, um, always said no. I think by this stage, felt that most probably my time was up 
to ever do anything I loved again. Um, but for some reason, got the guts to say yes to Strictly, which I mean, I'd lost a lot of sleep over saying yes to it. I have to say, I think, oh God, what have I done? Um, and yeah, I mean, it's been well publicised, you know, negatively and positively that it did just give me back that feeling of first day at stage school where you, you've got to just grab on to you know, what really makes, what really makes your world go round. And beside my kids, Mike, for me, it's music. <laughs> but the other thing about Strictly, and I think anybody that I know that's done it, that they think they're prepared. But I mean, you probably are prepared because you were prepared because you've done stage school, but the work involved in that show. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. is no, you don't get an hour off, let alone a day off. No, you, it's, it's hard graft. And I had pretty sort of strong boundaries of 10 till six. Yeah. Um, because I used to want to get home in kids, time yeah. to yeah. put the kids to bed and be there of an evening with them. And I felt that I owed that to my family. As time went on and you get right to the end, you've got to do three or four dances a night. Um, then, you know, you put the extra hours in, but that's maybe for just three weeks or something um but yeah it's it was hard and I think I underestimated all the filming and that when you're in the dance studio you're learning your cha-cha but you've got three other people there with a film crew grabbing every moment you go and get a drink of water or you have a quick break for a quick interview and how's it going like they pretty much film the whole of what you're doing every day so it's coming at you from all angles. So I wasn't ex I wasn't expecting it to be so difficult. I also thought I was quite a good dancer till I tried to do some of those <laughs> and realised that I wasn't at all. I was good at doing pop star dancing, but not anything else. Um, but yeah, you know, it, I did it. It happened. Um, and it, it kind of opened doors for me to step back into what I love doing. And one of those things... It was such an interesting choice because I I, I actually spoke to another uh, one of our friends, Siobhan Dillon, about about this same thing. Just moving away from the pop music, but actually going on stage and choosing a role like Sally Bowles, which is a really encompassing, difficult yeah. role, <laughs> and kind of against most of what you would imagine you would do. Yeah, I loved, for me, Cabaret is the best musical that there is. And my only thing is I got to play my dream part for the first one I did. Because now I think I'd be so much better at it because I'm so much more used to doing it. But at the time, I just took it. And I, I love doing it. Sally Bowles is a great role and with great songs and she's deep I mean she's well, that's really what it, that's deep. the interesting thing when I spoke to Siobhan about it she just I mean I know as I say I didn't really know I didn't know you though I knew you at the time but I wasn't around you at the time but I know with her it almost became quite all-encompassing Sally it's quite hard to shake her at the end of a performance yeah yeah she, she I, I think most probably my the thing that helped me the most Rufus Norris was the the director under Bill Kenwright and he was obviously director of the national. So he comes with a huge amount of, you know, you, you're, you're very in awe. Mind you, me being me was just, wasn't even quite sure who he was when I first met him because I've been in the world of pop. And then everyone told me, I was like, I'm really pleased I didn't know that before when I had to go and do the, the lines with him because I would have fallen apart. So it was good. I just went in with such little knowledge, but, um, 
I don't know. I think it was a really vulnerable time in my life when I did cabaret. I think I was a little bit lost myself. And I think that most probably actually played perfectly into the hands of Kay and Sally Bowles. Because Rufus did actually say to me, I know you've had a, a rough time and your personal life has been a bit up in the air, but I feel that you've taken every emotion from that and put that into Sally Bowles every night. So I think the the vulnerable side of me very much came out in her. And vocally, there's no hiding in that show. No. Especially no. with, you know, maybe this time. I mean, that song is, there's nowhere to hide. No, I, I loved singing that song. It was, it was so lovely because you could do it with such... Like, you know my voice and you yeah. know that that moment of softness that sometimes you like me to go into yeah. and you go and find that little sweet spot for me. Yeah. Um, and you could do that with maybe this time. You could start, I used to start the song off by sat, sitting on the bed mm. um, and sort of like having this complete moment on my own. And I don't know, the words kind of, just would sink in and it's it's a really lovely song to sing i mean it's it's just so strong like lyrically and at the point in the show she is pretty broken anyway it's a a song that a lot of people sometimes sing and they just use it as a big ballsy out performance and go look at how amazing i am but actually that's not the point of the song no i um i attacked that song with very from inside, very from the heart. I just, I felt that for me, when I played Sally Bowles singing that song, that song was about her in her own head. Mm. It wasn't just about a performance. I think at the end, it's you get up and you stand centre stage and you go for the the very last bit. But I think Mm. right up until the moment, I always thought this was her talking to herself in her head. This wasn't a showcase Mm. for how great you are as a singer or a performer. Um, I wanted the audience to feel what I was feeling, I suppose. And again, it's not like you'd done another five shows and you could do, you know, this was a really, this is kind of a debut. And yeah. one, of the big, and the, one of the biggest roles you could get. Yeah, so I mean. You love jumping we... into things, don't you? <laughs> Never go. Yeah, I remember like going for the, I had so many auditions for this role as well. They didn't just offer it to me. I think I went and sang and read with maybe Bill Kenwright five times and went and sang and read with Rufus Norris. They did not give me this job lightheartedly. It wasn't a case of, oh, she's a recognisable name. Let's give her the role. I, um, I fought for that role. So you, pre- so you did all the prep and you wanted it? Yeah, I went... I went every time they asked me to go into their office or the national um, to read through lines, to sing, to go work with the musical director to try how I would do maybe this mm. time. How would I approach cabaret? Um, I reckon I had most probably five auditions, you know, meetings. They would call it meetings, <laughs> but, you know, it was an audition. I think I think not only did they want to know I, I could do it, I think also I felt that they needed to see, I think it's very easy to cast people in shows without people realising the work that goes into it. Um, so I think it, 
if I had been one of those sort of artists that would have been like, no, I'm sorry, I'm busy Tuesday afternoon or I don't want to do that and you've seen me twice, tough, make your mind up, you know, that would have made most probably told them everything that they needed to know. I had one show off in three months, that was it. <laughs> So yeah, I just off the road. That's very you, though. <laughs> yeah. Did you? Did you? Just lastly on on that. I mean, did you think you had it in the bag, or were you surprised when they? I mean, obviously, when you actually got the phone call to say you've got it. I think no, I didn't think I had it in the bag because they kept wanting to see me. So you kind of every time they see you, you get a bit less confident because mm. you know you're not delivering, you haven't delivered on the first one, so they need to see you again. And But looking back now, I can understand. I think they needed to make sure. I think it's really easy to take a role on and then only show up for a certain amount. And if they're going to put your name on a poster, then you need to make sure you're there. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. I think they just wanted to make sure that I was the kind of girl that was going to be there. Yeah. Yeah, and you absolutely were. So what's the, when do you get to a point having done that, having done Strictly, you know, there's other things going on, which, you know, you've talked about a lot, but I'm interested in the point where you think I could make another album. Um, I think that came really more from Wayne. I think he thought I could make another album. I don't think I believed for you a long time. To, did oh, I wanted to? to. I was okay. desperate to make another album. Desperate. I just, I just didn't believe anyone would kind of not let me, but give me the. You you can't just go and make an album. You need people to mm. help make that happen. Um, and he felt that there was definitely a need or a want for another album. And um, it just took me a while to believe him that there was a need or a want for another album. I think even though I wanted to do it, I wasn't quite sure that there'd be a single person interested in it. Um, but yeah, again, I, I really knuckled down to songwriting. Um, I spent 18 months songwriting for Heavy Love to get myself back out there. I think all in all, we recorded about 40 songs. Mm. Which is great because that, that only, that shows how and think people sometimes people don't understand don't know this they think oh you know 12 songs an album that's what you do you know you really really need to workshop stuff so that you get the best of the best yeah I got to write with incredible people and and like I said earlier on the first time round, it was as important this time you know I've got small Paul Smith who was my A&R at Warner's who still is um and it's not just a case of churning out a good song oh, this is an all right song, we'll put this out. I mean, they really went in on each song. Like I would could write, I could do a whole writing week with three or four songwriters and, you know, Wayne and Paul and everyone would sit down and go, they're good, but not good enough. And, you know, you're like, <gasps> but I Next. really like that one because you've lived with it all week. Yeah. So you're kind of really in it. To you, it's already a hit because you've been living it and singing it. It's like that first listen and then that second listen. And and that's where you make up a decision where you put a lot of trust in the people around you. And um, I chose, or you go, nope, I'm doing what I want to do. I don't care what anyone else says. Um, I chose to go the route of I was... I was putting my trust a little bit more in them when they'd say, I still think you've got better. I was like, right, okay, we'll go again. We keep on going. Um, and I'm pleased I did do that because 
I think it was important for that first album to be right. Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, it's a absolutely. There's not a, a single duff track on it. It's you know everyone's a winner. I want to talk about two songs from that. I want to talk about firstly, um, well, actually, process wise. I know you said that you don't you don't say that you do a lot lyrically, but do you have do you write things down? Do you write little ideas down? Do you put things on your phone like titles, stuff like that? Yeah, at the moment, my phone is full with lyrics. <laughs> like, I don't know why, just the last maybe two months, three well, months. that's, that's just, handy. Yeah. <laughs> you might need them soon. <laughs> yes, exactly. I've got a lot of lyrics down at the moment. Yeah, and like I said, it just sometimes you just get loads of ideas and you find a really natural path for yourself. And then sometimes um, you, you feel a bit like you, you can't quite get started. Um and, and right now, uh, everything I write, I want it to be positive and I want it to be a real empowering, like mm. moving forward album. Um, but yeah, I, I, I write all the time, like my phone in my notes. Uh, if someone was to look at my notes, they'd most probably worry about me <laughs> for the things that I've written down on there. <laughs> Do you remember how um, Breaking Back Together happened? Yeah, I... Um, I'd got up, I was staying at my mum's house, me and the kids, and um, she got a tiny little house, like two up, two down. And uh, we were all crammed in the, the kitchen around the tiny table. And um, we'd, we'd drop the kids off at school and we'd come back and we would have our normal morning cup of tea together where I'd need a pep talk about everything was going to be all right. And um, she said to me, do you know what, Lou, sometimes you have to break to come back together and you're going to have to accept that this isn't going to go away overnight. And uh, I went into the studio, drove in and said to the guys, how about, you know, my mum said something interesting about breaking, you know, back together. And we were like, there you go. That's how, that's how most of that album came about. Wow. I hope, I hope mum's, mum's on some sort of royalty for that. Cause that's she a absolutely isn't. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one she did actually was um um just give me a you know a minute because yeah. I remember like her saying stuff and me going to her can you just give me a minute to get over all of this please stop <laughs> expecting me to just be okay and yeah. um, so so many of those songs came from you know snippets of conversation yeah it's and also breaking back together is one of those things that it, I remember when I first heard it, I thought, you know, I love those songs, which there's only so many ways you can say um, the same thing. But actually, when you have that smart way of just tying it together in a way that hasn't quite been said before. That's yeah. Always, like songwriters yeah. just like light up when that happens, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Breaking back together is um, like diamonds only come from pressure. It's it's just some of those lyrics, like you know exactly what they mean, like the diamonds were obviously yeah. tears. And I always say there's certain people when they cry, they look like they're crying diamonds. You know, yeah. like some people go all red and blotchy and, yeah, yeah. And, and some people cry. And I think someone had said, even when you're crying, you look like you're crying diamonds, like you're yeah. okay. Um, and yeah, so, so many of those lyrics came from such personal little moments. That's amazing. And uh, I mean, you don't have to talk about it exactly, but I would like <laughs> to know when on the day that you and Lauren were writing wrong, did you know you were going to write that song no. when you went into the session? 
No, I never have any preconceived ideas of it, what how I'm did it, write. How did it, as again, you don't have to go into it, but how did, are you interested in how it presented itself? Was it a, a, like a piano idea? Was it, did you have a discussion about the fact that's the sort of song you want to write? Do you remember how about the writing process of that song? I think I was mentally having quite a quiet day. You know, sometimes you'd go in full of beans. Like, I think I'd gone in quite quiet with things on my mind and, um, we'd always sit down and say, has anyone got any ideas? And sometimes the producer would have put a beat down mm. already, you know. And I think that he had already maybe put some little piano tinkles down, which yeah. was slow. And I, I hadn't done many ballads. We had really not gone down that route. And uh, we were like, shall we do um, a proper bare you fancy looking at doing a proper bare pulled back song and it was just the right day for it yeah there's certain days that you feel that you can open up and and put it all down and write something that means a lot and mm. that that day just was the right time with the right people and i think also the people you trust i mean uh yeah lauren aquilina is one of the most gifted songwriters this country yeah. has, I think. So yeah. having her in a room to collaborate with as well is is, is amazing. But oh, the collaborations are key for me. The the getting on with somebody, having a rapport with somebody, building up relationships with that person. Um, I think it makes both of our jobs easier. It makes them feel that they're in your life and can write an authentic song, and it makes me feel I can trust them enough to say certain things to help turn it into a song um so yeah we had a good team that day you did and you i mean and lastly on that song i mean do you do you remember the moment when somebody said about how to twist the end was it intentional was it a mistake um do you know what i think it was just i think i had when you're in the studio and you're, you're writing, if you've got the time, we, we do something that's, you know, called a ghost vocal. Yeah. So we'll just, in order to play it to people to see, you know, to send to Paul and to Wayne and everybody, you, we just sort of put as much down as we can to give them the general yeah. feeling. And I think I got to the end of the song and we had recorded it. And then I don't know who to give the credit to, but it wasn't me. <laughs> I don't know which one. I can't remember. As the guy said, how about you just finish it off with, I was wrong. Yeah. And we just all went, oh, oh God, <laughs> really? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and of course, I recorded it with you. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I, that's, I mean, you know, it's an incredible song and it's... Uh, you put me you know. in that dark room no, but, at well, the right yeah. time of day to well, record an, it. Well, that's another one of those one-take situations is, you know, that you just find that it's just, yeah, it's just a kind of a, a moment that, that kind of happened. It was, it was beautiful. But, I mean, from a positivity point of view, there's a bunch of amazing, you know, not the same on the album is just the biggest gospel yeah. anthem you yeah. know, you've got Hurt, which is Karen, and just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, so many fantastic songs. I mean, let's talk about, you know, obviously there was a time to kind of come back. I mean, the first thing back for you, I would imagine, was was it originally that you did a little, was it the little sort of show you did at Under the Bridge? Under the Bridge, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did a tiny little show at Under the Bridge, which... Um, Oh, sorry, Steve, thought I'd cut you off then. Okay. Um, tiny little show, Under the Bridge, which 
sold out in a few minutes, which I'll just be forever grateful for because I thought I was going to have to invite all my family down and make them come. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think it was on the back of that that we decided, you know, we should go out and, and do an album and do some gigs and and just carry on with this and get in the studio and make an album. And, of course, that first single being Stretch, which... Um, yeah. I loved and and I loved coming back so strong and so regardless of what people thought or opinions or I shouldn't have a leotard on I should have a leotard on whatever I I think the most important thing in our life as musicians artists actresses whatever is that as much as we can we always look back and go I'm really pleased I made that decision and I'm really pleased I went with that you know, and, and Stretch was one of those moments for me where I'm really pleased that was my first single back. Do you, when you're making decisions about a musical decision, but also then there's a visual aspect to it, do, do you agonise about how things are going to be perceived? Yeah, I, I worry a lot about what other people think far too much because I think until you can get rid of that, till you can absolutely get rid of that from your mind, that's when you'll do your absolute best work. That's when you, you're you all in. Um, yeah, I, I did worry. I worried that people would think that um, the, the music video was too sexy or I, I don't know. I do over-worry, but I, um, I, at that stage, I felt so confident that we were making the right choices that I felt confident enough to to override those worries, those little voices in my head and say, yeah. And everyone around me was like, we should definitely go with this as the first single and this should be the vibe. And I trust the people I work with implicitly. I mean, I, I'm incapable of working with people whom I don't trust because I can't bear, if I don't, if I don't trust somebody, I, I will agonise over things that they're suggesting so for me anybody I work with within music trust is a key thing yeah definitely definitely so the live experience obviously the initial thing coming off that back of the album was kind of a few acoustic shows um yeah still opening with that incredible song hammer which is yes I love I love that song. What I still tune. love. It's actually really quite difficult to sing. I didn't realise <laughs> until I do it live. I'm like, oh God, there's some that just so naturally flow and you just find your way around them so easily. That I always have to like be on my A game and and make sure I can hear great because there's a lot going on. But um, yeah, boy, I love that song. It's And it's <laughs> right in your wheelhouse as well. It's that soul, oh, funk, everything. If I could make an album of hammers, <laughs> I would. <laughs> Yeah, I don't it, know if that would go down well, but um, it's definitely musically the way forward. I, I want to go even more so down the road of, you know, that real funk underlay, funky soul. Yeah, and you managed to get a few tour dates in before the oh, whole thing fell down. Three, <laughs> till COVID hit us all. Well, that, um, yeah. Three weeks rehearsal and three days on tour, but oh, it was amazing. Don't. It was amazing. One, one and day, and we got a show ready to go. Right, I know well, it's at least so ready we've got to go. A show I there. mean, and by the way, just just to say this, I mean, this was this was a show show. I mean, this had mm -hmm. everything. It had choreography. It had the most incredible screens. It had lights. It had it just had amazing stuff in it. But for the lucky people that got to see it, it yeah. will remain with and them. 
you know, I, I feel lucky that I've got that show ready to go for yeah. future gigs that come up and it wasn't wasted time. I mean, it was just when we left Birmingham, we all said, yeah, we'll be in. We had a day <laughs> off. We'll definitely be back for Nottingham or wherever it was. We were going 100%. And the next morning we got up and my PR, Simon, actually just rang and said, no, you really need to not do this. I was like, really? So I had a little, you know, little cry. Oh, after 15 years of being desperate to go on I tour, I get three dates in and it gets cancelled. Um, but obviously that was an important, you it know, was an important pandemic thing to do, going but, on. But you kept, I mean, you were literally last girl standing. I mean, yeah, it was... Yeah, kept going. <laughs> as people were going. kind of leaving, just going, we may not, we may, I don't think we should be here. It's like, no, no, yeah. the show must yeah. go on. Yeah, we yeah. Said, we, and then we, it, it was that that thing of um, I think I would have gone on virtually if I could have done. Yeah, ABBA, <laughs> done the ABBA yeah, thing. I would have just done whatever I could have Turn done. Turn a hologram. But, um, yeah, do it from home. Do it from home. Yeah. And of course, like the other thing, which was you know again so annoying for you is the fact that the, the, the next we you know one of the other things that happened to you was when you finally get nine to five and you're finally supposed to open in that. That all goes slightly wrong as well. Yeah. Well, first time round, I fell over and sliced my chin. And then second time round, going back into the West End, um, we went, I was due to go back into the West End after the tour for a few more months. But I've, I've got to play plenty of nine to five. You know, luckily with musicals, they run for a long time. So yeah. I uh, feel like I've had my time in it. <laughs> have, you got a, have you got a secret dream role? on stage is there something that you like think about manifesting that you would really love I mean I think I've played my dream role so well with I'd Sally like to, I know but is yeah, there anything I'd else? like to play it again I'd, I'd like to play it now with the experience that I've had mm. and the understanding of how musical theatre works um mm. but I'd I don't know actually I um I love Wicked <laughs> but uh -huh. I don't think I'd make a good green witch <laughs> I do love that musical, though. Um, apart from that, not not so much. I'm, I need a new one to come out. Yeah, well, there are lots of new ones coming out. And uh, and talking of new stuff, I mean, that's presumably what's going to be next for you. Now you've got your book full of lyrics. Yes. They need, they need to find a home, right? Yep, I'm definitely going to start. Well, I've already started on, I mean, dare I say it, I already think we've got the first single. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going in strong and confident. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just the rest of the album I need to do. But um, yeah, I, I originally we didn't want to have a break. I wanted to go straight at it. But I think our break's been good because it's not been too long. It's not been like 15 years like before. Um, and I feel that like the direction in what we want to go in is, again, a step on from heavy love. That's, <laughs> that's exciting for next year. Um, and, and, well, sort of, and, and again, being back out there and doing yeah. gigs and, and all that, which is, which is, could be a big year next year, actually. Hopefully, yeah. It, it's, um, if all goes according to plan, touch wood, it, we could be gigging a lot. Yeah, no, that's good. Just before we go, I want to talk a little, just a tiny bit about um, perfectionism. <laughs> um, you're not the only person I know that has this, Gene. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I wonder what you feel at like, because I feel it can be a, a, a positive, it's sort of a hindrance, but it's also this part of it that is helpful. Is it something that you wish you didn't have or is it something that you enjoy? <sighs> uh, again, it's 
there's good and bad, isn't it? The, the nightmare with me is I'm such a perfectionist that if one tiny little thing goes wrong, I'm so angry at myself. I'm so angry of not getting it all completely right. And that, that this travels on to stage as well. Like I get a couple of words wrong and and I really beat myself up about it to the point where I'm beating myself up so much that the whole thing falls apart because I've been so stressed out that I got one thing wrong. Mm. I wish I could sort of just breeze over it. But um, I take great pride in what I do. And I don't know, I, I, I like to think whatever I do, the reason I'm still fortunate enough to do it is because I always give it 100%. You absolutely do. But I mean... You know, there are, it's interesting that you have that thing that you could do. And in fact, you have done a whole show, which has been amazing. And you walk off and the only thing you'll think about is the one thing you did wrong, which actually wasn't even wrong because there's no such thing as really wrong. <laughs> yeah, but just you, not. in your head, you didn't. Yeah, yeah that, that's and, me. <laughs> and that's it. Which that's is, not changing now. I don't think that, don't no, no, think. <laughs> I don't think it will change. But I think that that is, that comes down to that thing of professionalism. And, but at the same point, you, I think you, it, you kind of enjoy it more. It's a lot freer now, I think. I think there's less yeah. of that. I think it's still the, prof the professionalism still there. But I feel that, you know, when you're out there and you know you've got the support of the band and everything. Yeah. You can just, you can fly. And you, and if you make a mistake, it's cool. It's all right. I've got a great team, like obviously working with yourself and then the girls. I mean, like Lucy, who is one of the mm. girls that sings with me, she, I only have to look at her if I'm slightly worried or I can't hear something and she's got my back and I get a wink to say, yeah, yeah, you're there. You're good. You're good, babes. You're good. Um and that camaraderie for me is so important. I, I'm somebody that gives a lot to people and I really struggle if I don't get that back because um, I don't understand the mindset of not wanting to pull together and all help each other to be the best we can be. And I definitely have a band that do that. And one of the best things to finish off with, one of the best things that happened is... At so probably the first time that one of the first times that we got together, we decided to make your drunk karaoke song "Fantasy Come True" by doing Diana Ross. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, which I still love. <laughs> which, you, which I think you remember you saying that actually you'd never really sung it sober until we did no. it in rehearsals. <laughs> I hadn't. Yeah, I think I, I think that the first time I sung it sober was when you were like, "Okay, do you want to give this a go?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." We have a tequila first. Um, yeah, that's my drunk karaoke song. But oh my god, I love that song so much. Like that is never coming out of the set, you know. <laughs> it, I mean, it's the boss, and it is. I mean, it's it's just extraordinary when it happens. But to think of you know the girl that was listening to Motown as a kid, yeah. and then you'd get to do Diana Ross. Yeah. I mean, even and, and actually. Always good, but um, especially there was a beautiful show that you did, probably the first pop star to come back and do a show when you did the Clapham Grand show. Yeah. And it was all distanced and people couldn't stand up and people couldn't clap. <laughs> yeah. But it was just a beautiful night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a great night. And actually, when I did The Boss, because obviously people couldn't stand up, there was just hands in the air. <laughs> hands in the air and masks. <laughs> hands like, in the hey. air, masks. <laughs> and and what you probably couldn't see, although you've seen footage of it since, is your manager, Wayne Russell, 
uh, slightly <laughs> worse for wear, letting off sort of some kind of pyrotechnics on the gallery. Yeah, some cannons. Um, yeah, all pulled together in this, you know, everybody's got a role and it changes daily. Yeah. But yeah, I think um, doing that gig was great. It was so good. And uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes I, because I, I feel so it's natural, and you've said it to me before, when I'm singing some of those Motown songs and we're doing different covers, you're like, you're so at home doing mm. them. Mm. Like, you just kind of breeze through those where sometimes I overthink some of the songs I've written. Um, but, yeah, I, I do sometimes pinch myself when I hear that first chord come in of the boss. <laughs> I'm, like, it's, living my best life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Is there, uh, is there any it's always difficult to sort of ask this, but I mean, is there any advice you can give to a someone growing up that's maybe not 10, because that was quite extraordinary, yeah, but like yeah. 16, 17, that's, that's looking at what you've done and thought, wow, she's amazing, which do you, a, do you most know, people I, do. I, I think it's perseverance. I think never stop learning. Never think you know it all. I, I learn something every day from the people I work with. Um, and, and just, it sounds really cliche, but I just don't think you can give up. There's, there's never a right time in music. It's going to just happen when it happens. You can't plan it. I still can't plan it. I could put 10 songs out in the next six months and some of them just work and create and some go by the wayside. I think you've just got to love what you do, love being creative, keep on at it, never give up, never think you know it all and work really bloody hard that's exactly it yeah i think that def definitely definitely and if you need any more positivity you can go and read it in the book which is the yeah book, this book which is full yeah. of positivity yeah it is it's a real positive i think people are expecting a big old like dirty laundry but nah it's just about us being the best version of us yeah yeah and as you say putting the work in which you always do but you have yeah. a laugh, but you have a laugh as well. Yeah. Oh God, There's I have so a lot many of laughs. Lot of I have a lot of laughs and a lot of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I like that. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for chatting to me. I can't wait to see you soon and be in a room with musicians and it's gonna happen. Yeah, can we no, do it soon? Happen. Well, we've got our little plan of what we're doing. Yeah, now. yeah, we have a little so, plan. Um, we can't we won't say anything about it on here, but we've got a little no. plan. We've got a few things sorted out and then uh, we'll be back and uh, yes. and yeah, getting some amazing new music out. Yeah, Steve, thank you so much. And no I worries. look forward to seeing you soon. No